Thanks for joining us on the Legal Technology Review Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Folk, author of The Cyber Advocate. Joining us as our guest today is the founder of the Law School Toolbox and the Girls Guide to Law School, Allison Monahan. Allison, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And uh, we'll all forgive Allison. She's got just a little bit of a cold, but we wanted to catch her before she begins her odyssey to Mexico City. So we express our appreciation for that. You know, whether you're looking to leave a law firm to open your own practice, if you're you know, operating a virtual law firm, or you know, if you're simply looking to improve what is a cliche that I hate, but I'll use it for this, is the work-life balance by working remotely. One of the first you know issues you're going to need to tackle is setting up your remote or home office. Now, Allison, I know that while you're no longer practicing law, you have a unique perspective for most people and a better understanding than most about the transition from going from a big law firm office to a home office. Uh, how did you approach that transition? Um, well, for me, I think I actually had a lot of frustration about the fact that I had to go to my office when I was working in big law. So I worked at a firm downtown in San Francisco and, you know, I traveled a lot. I, all of my cases at the time, I was a patent litigator. Most of the cases were in Delaware, actually, I think all of them. So, you know, when I went to Delaware, essentially, I was working remotely from my hotel room. Um, it's a lovely spot, too. Yeah, Wilmington, really a, a place <laughs> to spend, you know, several months of your life. It's fantastic. Hotel DuPont, highly recommend it. Um, yeah, that was that was one that we had in a case against DuPont. And, uh, yeah. yeah, probably you weren't staying there. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, in that case, like we had a, you know, obviously we had office space in um, local counsel's office, but I spent a lot of time just working out of my hotel room. And it was kind of this question of like, why can't I do the same thing in my house in San Francisco? You know, every now and then it was like a big deal. Like, oh, you can work from home. Um, and frankly, I got a lot more done because I didn't have all the distractions of like my secretary popping in to be like, hey, like what's the like font size on this brief supposed to be? And I'm like, I don't know, like figure it out. Um, so I think that kind of laid the groundwork a bit. Um, and, you know, as students, like, obviously, like, you're, you do have a remote office, essentially, you know, you're set up to do whatever you need to do, um, in law school or I've done other grad schools. Um, and so for me, it just seemed really natural. I mean, particularly being in San Francisco, my main fear when I left the firm and kind of struck out on my own was that I'd be really bored and I'd be lonely and I wouldn't see anyone all day. And, you know, I remember the, like, the first week I went to the local coffee shop and I was like, my God, there are more people here than there are on the weekends on like a Tuesday afternoon. What is up with this place? Like no one has a normal job anymore. Um, oh, I can't I can't go to Einstein Bagels near my office. I can't go there after 830 on a weekday. You, yeah, I mean, you're not going to park within two blocks. No, I mean, it's crazy. Like every coffee shop in San Francisco is packed all day long with people working. And you just realize like almost no one, I mean, not almost no one, but you know, <laughs> like outside of the legal world, like no one has a normal job in this town. You know, people work 24-7, but they do it from all sorts of weird different places. So when I first left and, you know, sort of set up, I wasn't really sure what I was doing. I guess I was writing a book at that point. And I, did, I actually got an office. I found this really cheap office space. It was private. It had a door. It was, you know, pretty close. I could bike there in five or ten minutes. And I just found that I never went. <laughs> And so, you know, after a year and a half or so of paying, even it was a minimal amount, but, you know, paying for this office, I was like, why am I paying for space I'm not using? Maybe there's a different way to do this. And at that point, basically, my office really was my kitchen table because I was like, oh, I, you know, I can't have like another office because I have an office that I'm paying for that I'm not going to. So long story yeah, that, well, short. That's, that's, my blog, that's my blog's office basically right now, which my wife loves. <laughs> yeah. So long story short, basically, I did a little bit of home renovation and got this gigantic 
heater that was in what would have been a walk-in closet out of the walk-in closet, got a different kind of heater and got my walk-in closet back. And then at some point looked around and went, you know, I bet I could fit a desk in here. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And the last couple of years, I've literally been working out of my home office, which is a walk-in closet. And just as anyone can appreciate, as I'm recording the podcast from a closet that, you know, it's it's a nice, tidy place. Although I think a lot of people would probably be jealous that you have that much closet space. Right. Well, that means San Francisco, <laughs> I figure the com- – and it's also, yes, the combination walk-in closet. Thank you to the container store for, you know, some nice, like, organizational supplies. So one side of it's the closet and the other side is the office. Although in fairness, I think I've finally outgrown that now. And when I come back from Mexico, I'm moving downstairs and making downstairs my office. So, but I think, you know, I think that's part of the point is like, it doesn't have to be that you have this amazing space from the beginning, you know, it's that you can grow into whatever it is that you need. And, you know, when your business is like more successful or your practice is making more money, then like, oh, I can start to think about like maybe expanding my office space. But in the beginning, if you don't have revenue, it's sort of like, well... Maybe you don't need to be paying for office space. Perhaps there's something else you can do here. Now, I think that anytime you're engaging in a venture like this, there's there's got to be some at least sober assessment of the situation. We're in a unique opportunity here that I can actually ask: is what in your mind is the biggest advantage or the biggest advantages versus being in a law firm office to a home office? I mean, I think it's ultimately just the flexibility of it. You know, the idea of like having to go downtown and like sit in a room and work there, which is maddening to me. Um, I don't think, you know, I think if you really evaluate it, most days that I was sitting in my law firm office, I didn't talk to anyone. Like maybe I would talk to my secretary. But, you know, what I would, my work, if I was talking to people, was on a joint defense conference call for three hours, you know, where you've got people all over the world calling into it. And even if I'm taking the call with my you know, partner boss, like she's taking it from her office, I'm taking it from my office. So this idea that like, oh, you have to go to the office to like mingle with people and have great ideas, I just think it's kind of laughable at this point. I mean, you know, my business partner and I, like if we, if there's something we need to talk about, our standard process is basically one of us texts the other one to be like, hey, this thing just came up because, you know, text is like more urgent than email. You know, we all have this matrix of like, okay, if I'm texting you, it's something you really need to think about or do. And then we're like, hey, do you want to jump on like a Skype call or Google Hangout or can we talk about this on email? You know, and you know, it depends on what people's schedules are. Like she has an 11-month-old baby, so it might be like, hey, you know, I got your text. I can't talk about this right now because I'm at baby swim class, but, you know, like I can email or text with you about it and I'll call you on Skype. Skype in an hour when I get home. You know, so that level of flexibility, I mean, it's not like we can't have a conversation. It just doesn't have to take place face-to-face. From your experience, what has been the, the biggest disadvantage? Um, you know, I do think there's some benefit to, like, meeting in person. And certainly, we have gradually sort of implemented more standardized processes for when we're going to meet in person and also like when we're going to talk in person in the beginning like we didn't have team meetings or anything it was just like hey something came up and then we're like okay you know we should probably have a call like standing call every week or we should probably have like a schedule an in-person meeting on like the first Tuesday of every month you know things like that just to sort of and as the team has expanded you know that it's become more important to get everyone together like we have we had a team retreat um, at the beginning of the year where we brought everyone to San Francisco, we got an Airbnb for a day, you know, and we had like a really productive meeting. So in some sense, you're like, well, I wish I could have a few more of those. 
but I don't need to have it like every day or every week. When you're approaching setting up a virtual remote or home office for a solo practice, what what's the right mindset? Um, I mean, I think partly people just you sort of just have to commit to it because there are always reasons not to do it. So, I mean, if I was running a solo practice and I did actually consider that when I left the firm, like that was one of the things I was supposed to do. So I did some like serious research into this. I mean, you know, I think people can tell themselves like, oh, I have to have an office because my clients need to meet me, which is a fair point. Like your clients do need to meet you and they probably don't want to meet you at Starbucks. But at that point, you kind of have a choice. You're like, oh, I committed to this, like, not having office space, or am I not? Because if you're not, like, oh, I'll just go and, like, get an office. Like, that'll be fine. Well, and for a solo practitioner, setting up a, a small office can be a lot of the same processes and equipment set up, I would think, as setting up a real functioning home office, too. So Yeah, absolutely. And I think my point is just, you know, there are probably other options. Like, it doesn't really matter where you are. There probably is, like, meeting room space that you can have available for your clients to meet you in that does not require that you personally like maintain that space at all times. And obviously it's easier in a city like San Francisco where I'm sure there are like 10 apps that can get you unused <laughs> conference spaces or, you know, co-working spaces. But you know, that, that sort of thing is really, I think expanding a lot. I mean, it's amazing like how many places have co-working spaces now. Um, and it's not like any of this is that new. I mean, there've always been these kind of like you know, business, like outsourcing sort of like space things. It's just now it's like hip and it's like, oh, it's a sharing economy. It's like, well, no, you know, like the hotels have always been renting you meeting room spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the basic setup is pretty straightforward. You need some sort of computer. You need a way to connect to the internet. You probably need like a printer and a scanner. I mean, beyond that, I mean, a cell phone is not like rocket science here. You are listening to the Legal Technology Review, powered by the Cyber Advocate. We're talking to Alice Monahan about setting up a remote office. You're listening to the Legal Technology Review on the Cyber Advocate. The show is powered by B&R Concepts for all of your law firm's IT and technology needs. Don't forget to follow all the latest on technology and tools for legal professionals at www.thecyberadvocate.com. All right, we're back with uh, Allison Monahan talking about virtual offices. Um, Allison, tell us a little bit about what your project has been since you left Big Law. Tell us about uh, the Law School Toolbox. Sure. Well, that actually evolved out of a different project um, called the Girl's Guide to Law School. So when I left Big Law... I mean, what I told them I was doing was writing a book, which was The Girl's Guide to Law School, which I'd actually started, had the idea for and started writing my third year of law school, but hadn't made much progress on working as a law clerk and at a law firm, as you might imagine. And I was going to start a family law practice. So luckily, I took a pro bono divorce case and decided I did not want to spend my days doing that, which dragged on for the next three years. It was like the pro bono case from hell. And... I looked at sort of partnering with a couple of friends to do more classic sort of IP work. Those fell through for various reasons. People like left the country suddenly, you know, a lot of stuff you didn't want in a business partner. Um, and so essentially at some point after I'd started writing The Girl's Guide to Law School and I tried to get an agent and a publisher and that went nowhere fast in like, I don't know, the middle of the recession – I launched what was the website, which was the Girl's Guide to Law School, and people started reading it, which was surprising to me. It turned out search engine optimization really did work. Um, I had been a programmer before law school, so I kind of knew like the lay of the land there. Turns out that stuff really is effective. I launched the site. I went on vacation. 
in Mexico. I went to an internet cafe a few days later to check my email and people had written me like their whole life story from reading this website that I thought no one was going to read for at least a week or so. Um, so it was this moment of like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, you know, like there are actually people reading this. They found it somehow. I don't know what's going on here. And now they want advice and help. So I was like, okay, well maybe there's something there. And then I met Lee, um, my business partner. We actually met on Twitter, which is sort of a funny story. And it turned out, I mean, this is kind of the virtual real world thing. It turned out she lived a mile from me in San Francisco. So we met for coffee, but we never would have met initially, but for the fact that we were both on social media. And so we were kind of batting around some ideas and actually decided to partner up the second time we ever met for lunch, um, which was kind of like marrying someone on your second date. But it's worked out really well. And so we launched the Law School Toolbox, which is basically a resource for students in law school to kind of demystify the law school educational process and kind of help de-stress it and just give them some like solid information has evolved into courses and tutoring, and there's a bar exam version, the bar exam toolbox. Again, like courses and tutoring and free stuff. We also got kind of dragged into the career space because obviously there are a lot of people struggling to sort of find their place in the legal profession, either just graduated or getting ready to graduate. You could, you probably just could have point all of them to uh, the wonderful, wonderful advice about going to and and sticking through law school from uh, above the law there. Yes, yes. Um, so we threw a conference, and that kind of resulted in this other website, and it's all just kind of gotten a little out of hand, to be honest. Out of hand in a, in, in a good way or a bad way? No, in a good way. I mean, we joke that we're running a media empire, but, it's you know, as I'm sure you know, it's sort of a constant beast that has to be fed at all times. Um, so there, there's no rest for the weary on the internet. Everybody yeah. wants more content. Well, as, as long as that's good, of course, that's, I still think that's, the, that's uh, one of my favorite things about some of my most successful blog posts is they've all been the ones that seemed like fallback when I couldn't come up with a good idea. And sometimes just I, I'm just amazed by what of the stuff that I write that people like. And then, of course, there's other stuff I'm certain that people are going to like and get like 30 people total. Yeah, I know. We learned that pretty early on that like you really cannot predict what people are going to respond to. And so, you know, yeah, you I mean, I think you graduate really get better at it over time sort of because you've seen it come around more and more often you're like oh yeah but again yeah you're absolutely right like sometimes you're like oh this is gonna be like this post is so good it's so (laughs) awesome it's so great everybody's gonna love it total dud do a like throw away post on five things blah 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 and it gets like bajillions of views oh that was that was what i was laughing most about the uh the the 10 twitter tips uh how to be a better lawyer using Twitter because it seems like those tips were everywhere, but sometimes just phrasing something a little bit differently or maybe explaining a, a more a different benefit and all of a sudden people like you know, lists. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, that is that's one of those yeah, you can look up any how to on a blog and you'll find that one. It is it is sadly true. We're talking to Allison Monahan, uh the founder of the Law School Toolbox and the Girls Got to Law School. We're talking about Virtual or remote offices here on the Legal Technology Review. Uh, Allison, what in your mind are the indispensable tools of a proper home office? Not necessarily just a, you know, everyone knows that you need a laptop, but what what do you really need to have to be comfortable? Um, I think one thing you actually need is a good microphone. Um, that's one of the ones that we sort of overlooked for a while. And, you know, if you're recording any sort of audio or video or just having calls with people, which you're probably going to be doing a lot. Having a pretty solid, it doesn't have to be super expensive. I mean, right now I've got the blue 
Snowball, I think, which is their mm-hmm. bigger one. I used to have the Blue Snowflake, which is more portable but not quite as strong. I think that one broke eventually. I personally don't really use headphones, but I know a lot of people do. Um, but I think having, you know, having some dedicated space as well. I mean, I definitely, I literally worked at my kitchen table for the first year that I did this with a laptop riser, which is another critical component. Um, very good for your neck. Um, you know, thinking through those sort of ergonomic things and spending a little bit of time and effort and like getting the right mouse or getting the right keyboard. So, you know, now I have a desk with a laptop riser. I have a pull, I have a like movable keyboard sort of thing that sits on wheels. Um, and that's a wireless keyboard. Um, and then I have a mouse that's a trackball that I think plugs in. Um, so, you know, those are the things that work for me. But I think you can't just like throw your laptop on the kitchen table and expect that you're going to work there comfortably for the long term. Um, you know, you need some sort of dedicated space and then you need to invest a little bit of time and energy and like getting yourself set up in a way that enables you to actually work um, and not like get really terrible carpal tunnel or something like that. I think that's, I think that's important. That's, it strikes me as something that too many, uh, be it bloggers or even, you know, work-life coaches, they, that, you know, when, when, when we talk about, especially for lawyers, about setting things up, we always talk about equipment, and too many people ignore how critical it can be to be comfortable when you're working, because most of your office, exactly like you said, your office is set up, your computer monitor is likely to be roughly eye level when you're sitting in your office chair, but your laptop on a desk is not going to be at that same level. Yeah, so you can get, you know, a $20, like, portable riser on Amazon and fix that problem, but you have to, like, realize it's a problem and actually do something about it. Now, I'm curious about this keyboard on wheels. What? Well, it's not really a keyboard. It's a keyboard tray on wheels. It's, like, it's kind of a lozenge-shaped thing. Cause, I mean, again, like, this is a sort of, I mean, I, I went to design school as an architect, so this is the sort of thing I was like, well, the problem was the desk didn't have a pull-out keyboard tray because it has a drawer, and if I put the keyboard on the desk, it's going to be several inches too high, and that's going to hurt my arm. So I had to get something that was, like, adjustable and lower. See, I found this amazing, like, lozenge-shaped keyboard tray thing that has space for a mouse, you know, through some, like, ergonomic online website. Um, and, and it's great because you can wheel it around. So if I want to work in a different room or something, I can, like, wheel it into the other room, and I have the wireless keyboard. So I can be, like, you know, it's kind of fun. It's like your secretary in the 50s or something, like, wheeling your stuff around. <laughs> Um, Or like being in a hospital carrying with an IV. Yeah, sort of like that. So I I don't think I actually move it very much, but the theory was at least that I would like move it other places. Usually at this point, I just move my laptop, but I could in theory move the keyboard if I wanted to. What was your biggest mistake? What was the biggest mistake that you've made that you think that our listeners could benefit from knowing about or understanding to either try to avoid or to be prepared for when it it inevitably does happen? Um, I think... For me, the biggest mistake was actually paying for an office, like, outside of my house. Because it was just the sort of thing that I felt like I needed to do or I should do or I would be more productive if I did. But it just turned, frankly, into this huge hassle. And it took me, you know, it took me basically a year and a half to just admit that it was a hassle and admit that I wasn't going there and that every time I did go, like half the stuff I needed was at my house because actually I was working at my house. But then like when I was working, I would have stuff in my office that I needed because I felt like I was supposed to go there to work. And, you know, it just it burned a lot of time and it didn't burn a ton of money because it was pretty cheap. But And that was the other thing. It was like, well, if I give this up, I'll never find a place this cheap again, which is 
true. I mean, particularly in you know, today in San Francisco, that place is probably like you know, three times what I was paying for it. But it doesn't matter. Like, I don't need it. So. Yeah, it's an, op- it's, it's an opportunity cost only if you're, you know, using it. It's it's cheaper than anything else, but it's more expensive than nothing. It's, it's more expensive than taking a tax write-off, basically, for your home office, which is not what I do. And that circles back, I think, to the point you were making about there are services all over the place that that rent out conference rooms. I mean, I remember at my even in my first my first law firm was in I worked at at a law school was in Winston Salem, North Carolina, and that's where I was born. That's an interesting place. <laughs> no, I've got a lot of a lot of good friends there. The the firm that I worked at actually it was a it was a smaller medical malpractice defense firm and but we had uh, essentially a secondary office in Charlotte that all it was was a fax line and a conference room that was you know we shared with another law firm we paid them essentially rent for it whenever we needed to use it those those options are available you know in in any number of forms everywhere so it's you don't. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea that, like, there's nobody in your town who has extra space they would probably be willing to give you occasionally for money is, like, probably I, th- I actually true. think most most law firms between 10 and 50 people have conference rooms that are unused a majority of the time. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, when I was thinking of starting a firm, I gave serious thoughts, like, going back to the place I'd worked and being like, hey, I'm not competing with you at all. Like, I mean, something totally different. I know that three quarters of these rooms are totally unused. I'll pay you a couple hundred bucks a month to be able to come in occasionally and use one. And I feel like they probably would have said yes to that. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can really help us out by heading over to iTunes, look up the Cyber Advocates Legal Technology Review, Go ahead and leave us a rating and review. We appreciate it. It really help us out. And if you'd like, go ahead and leave your Twitter handle. That way we'll be able to thank you for taking the time. Is there one problem uh, or issue that you currently face that you'd most like to see uh, fixed by some sort of new technology or tool? Um, I feel like video conferencing software could be a lot better than it is. I mean, we're having a lot of problems with Skype lately. I've had so many problems with Google Hangout that I pretty much stopped using it. I feel like that should be better at this point. You know, like being able to join from different devices and just having it more seamless. Like, I'm pretty annoyed at this point with the options. Yeah, uh, the ABA asked me in November to write a thing on Google Hangouts if I could write a like a three three things that lawyers should know and I, I said I, I I've used it a couple times and I will look into it uh, I'll get back to you about whether or not I can actually in good conscience write a three-part you know a piece recommending that yeah. lawyers use Google Hangouts I mean I feel like it used to be better than it is I don't know if they're just killing it as a product or whatever but it used to be usable and it had some nice features but now it's just like every single time like god this just doesn't work have you used like GoToMeeting or any of the? Yeah, I mean, I've tried out most of them. I just don't feel like, and like we've, you know, we've looked at this problem. We've had like our assistant like do research on this. I mean, you know, new stuff pops up all the time. I and mean, the other thing that's sort of in this category is um, like course software for like, webinars and things where it's the students. Again, that's another one where like you just bang your head against the wall um, because you try all these options, like all of them sound great. And then you actually put them in practice and you pay for them or whatever. And then suddenly like they're not working. It's just like, Oh, 
like this, the video stuff, I feel like still has a long way to go to be as good as it could be. I'm curious to see whether in along those lines, especially the video conferencing, whether or not basic social media, which is technically, I mean, that's all Google Hangouts was supposed to be when it started was a way to use Google Plus to, to video chat with people. But I'm curious to see whether or not Periscope and Meerkat and basic social media apps like that can kind of sort of not necessarily muscle their way in, but introduce a basic option that ends up just by the breadth of its use, provide something better than what's out there right now. I think it's definitely possible. I think just something like lighter weight but it actually works. So, I mean, you know, Skype is just like this constant battle. Like, so what exactly is your username? Like, does it have a period? Does it have an underscore? Because otherwise I'm never in a thousand years actually going to find you. And it's like, I know this person's name. I know their email. I know like where they're like, I should just be able to find them without having like this exact user ID, you know? Well, and, and I, I was, it was funny. I was looking for Joshua Lennon uh, to Skype with him uh, last week and he could have a photo that's a little bit more recent and a little bit less black and white because I pulled up a list of options and I was pretty sure it was him. But I wasn't about to randomly Skype someone not being sure that it was. Yeah, I don't even think I have a picture because I don't even know how to put it up. You know, stuff like that. It's yeah. like, why do I even have to think, like, why can't you just go and, like, suck my gravatar in here like everything else does? Is there one thing that you think attorneys looking at an option, be it a home office, a remote office, virtual practice opening, you know, hanging a shingle, opening up their own uh, solo practice. What is one thing that they can do or should do first, before, the first step to take in, in this whole process? Well, I would say the first step is actually to really sort of sit down and think through like how they actually want to work and what they're going to be comfortable doing over the long term. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with, you know, how you're going to get that social interaction and that sort of thing, which I think is a obvious concern for a lot of people if they're thinking about working remotely. I think thinking of like your work and life as sort of a like a process can be helpful because then you can say, you know, it's not just binary. Like I'm never going to see anybody or I have to work in an office. It's like you can actually sort of granularly, you know, set goals for yourself and really track those. For example, you know, I know that I'm happy, like, you know, for me, like, I'm on the border between being an introvert and an extrovert. So I know that if I go more than a couple of days without human interaction, I start to go crazy. But at the same time, I can't, like, if I go to an office every day, I get overwhelmed. So for me, it might be, like, you know, setting this intention or goal of, like, three days a week or two days a week, I'll have an in-person meeting with someone. And then really paying attention to, like, am I doing that? How is it working? So I just think, thinking of the whole thing as like a process. I mean, almost for me, it's like a design project. You know, how could I design my life and my work to be what I actually want it to be? Um, and I think approaching it from that perspective can be sort of refreshing because then you realize like, it's not just like, oh, I do this or I do that. It's like, you know, these are the things that I think are going to work for me and then I'm going to try them and I'm going to test them. And if they're not working, I'm going to do something differently. And like giving yourself that freedom, but also being rather... Uh, you know, diligent about paying attention to how it's working out, I think can be really helpful. We were talking to Allison Monahan about virtual offices. Allison, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is great. And uh, I hope you enjoy Mexico City. And Thank you. In my virtual office in Mexico, I'm bringing my laptop riser and my keyboard. <laughs> it sounds like you've got a, you've got a pretty good setup there. Uh, well, thank again, thank you for joining us uh, and giving us some, some really good tips about the mindset, really, and a, and, a, and a good approach to setting up a remote or home office for, for attorneys. 
I thank all of our listeners for joining us. This has been the Legal Technology Review, powered by the Cyber Advocate. Yeah.